0: You want to be ready to answer the questions the world is asking about your faith. But what happens when someone is more ready than you? When someone asks you a question and you can tell that he or she has an ulterior motive, not to lead you into a discussion, but to trap you in a debate and make your beliefs look foolish. This happened to me during a recent Apologetics AMA on Discord. When that does happen, it can feel disorienting or trigger a fight or flight response but you don't need to run. I want to show you one thing that you can do when that happens. It will help you get reoriented, increase your confidence, and give you a solid biblical answer every time. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedeckes, and I'm here to help you the Christian layman, to build a legacy so that you, your kids, and your wife will be able to confidently answer the questions that the world is asking from the Bible. And as you do, you will see Jesus change lives as you share your faith. So what do you do when a person tries to use questions to bring you to an unbiblical conclusion? Now, being able to answer the world's questions does not mean that you have to jump at every opportunity to debate. But you do need to be ready to respond even to gotcha questions that are clearly intended to lead you astray, especially when others are watching. And when you do that, you can turn what was intended as a trap around into an opportunity to show the truth of the Christian worldview. In this AMA, I had just answered a question about salvation through faith alone. Then, someone called Catholic traditionalist came on and started questioning me. It was a clear attempt to disprove what I had just said. Specifically, he wanted to prove that faith is not enough. We need baptism too. Now, if you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door or question you on the street, or if you've ever been approached by a person, a non-Christian, whether an atheist or whatever, with questions that seemed aimed at a certain conclusion, you can feel yourself being pulled along. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't know where they're going, but you know you don't want to go there. It feels like a trap, but not bad enough for you to just cut and run. This episode is for you. In this discussion, we answer the following questions. What is faith, according to the Bible? What is justification? How are we made right with God? What is the gospel? And then we looked at two different accounts of the Apostle Paul's baptism in Acts, and we debated what the text really says about it. And as we go, listen carefully to who is trying to force his ideas into Scripture and who is letting God's Word speak for itself. As it turns out, there is one secret skill to survive these debate traps, like the one I almost walked into, and it's a skill that every Christian can use. If after this episode, you have questions or want to discuss more about this topic, you should know about our free community. This is where you can connect with over 500 others who are on the same journey as you. You'll get biblical answers to questions that the world is asking, information on other worldviews, and a better understanding of the tools of knowledge, truth, logic, science, and morality, and how to use them in discussion. I'll tell you more about the group and how to join at the end of the show. All right, so as we go, you're going to hear my conversation in real time with Catholic traditionalist, but then I'm going to pop in and give some insights and some commentary on the debate and discussion as we go. So his initial conversation, starter, his initial question was, what is your definition of faith? At this point, I have no idea who this guy is really. Never talked to him before. I just know. He's an intelligent guy, Catholic hardliner, and he's trying to go somewhere. So I'm very cautious. You're going to hear that in the discussion. And um, as we go, I'm going to ask him questions to try to draw out where he's going.
1: When it comes to faith, what is your definition of faith?
0: Well, um, faith is the evidence of, of things hoped for. Um, the substance of things not seen. That's kind of how the Bible defines it. I think I'm mangling that verse. I'm trying to look it up.
1: What are the things hoped for?
0: Let's look for it in context. All right. Hebrews 11.1. 1. There we go. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That's the, the Christian Standard Bible. So,
1: so what, are, what, what do you hope for?
0: Yeah. It, well, in context, that passage is talking about the future hope of God's kingdom that is the hope of every Christian and every Old Testament saint.
1: So in order to get into God's kingdom, you have to be justified through the blood of Christ, right? The
0: sacrifice on the cross. Uh, Yes, that's correct. So
1: then justification is part of faith, correct?
0: Justification is a result of faith. Um, Regeneration precedes faith. It's a little hard to determine which one comes temporally first. But justification is a result of saving faith.
1: I'm glad you brought up regeneration. So regeneration is also a part of faith?
0: Now, I have to be honest here. I didn't know what he meant. Regeneration is also a part of faith. I see now looking back that what he was trying to do is he was trying to deconstruct the idea of faith as pure belief, trying to put other things into the concept, because what that would do would be that would sort of degrade the idea of faith alone, which is that was his goal here. But at this point, I had no idea what he meant. So I asked him to define his terms. What do you mean by a part of faith? Well, uh, can one uh, have the faith if they're not uh, regenerated, justified, and sanctified? Uh, no.
1: Okay, so then it's part of faith, right?
0: No, I wouldn't say it was part of faith, no. Oh, so then it's, it's, it's outside of the faith? So someone
1: can be sanctified and yet not be in the faith, they can be regenerated and yet yet not be in the faith, they can be justified and yet not be in the
0: faith? No, just because two things are inseparable and bound up with each other doesn't mean that they're identical. Just because two things aren't identical doesn't mean that they are, they are separable. Um,
1: so, um, so uh, in order to have the faith, is it required that one be justified, regenerated, and uh, sanctified? Uh, well, let
0: me let me think. What what the apostle Paul says. So in Romans eight, it says that those that God, hold on, let's see. Okay. So I'm looking at Romans eight twenty nine. for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he, well, it should be just brothers there. And those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So, uh, remind me your exact question again. How did you phrase it?
1: Yeah, with regards to the faith, those that you would categorize as being
0: members of the faith, are they justified, regenerated, and sanctified? Members of the faith. It sounds like you sort of changed the meaning of faith there. When you say members of the faith, are you talking about faith as a religion or are we talking about people who have saving faith?
1: Yeah, with regards to people that have saving faith. Okay. They regenerated, sanctified, and justified.
0: Those who have saving faith, God credits that faith to them as righteousness. Um, that's that's what he said about uh, Abraham in Genesis 15. The Apostle Paul reiterates i well, you
1: my question. My question is very simple. Are they regenerated, justified, and sanctified? They either are or they're not
0: those who have saving faith are regenerated they are justified and yes and and sanctif- sanctification is a is an ongoing process but they are set apart as holy they are positionally they they become saints now, i'm i'm not trying to dodge your question maybe i'm not quite understanding what you're what exactly is your question all right now what i'm trying to be relentless in in this discussion is I want to point everything back to the Bible why because I really want to root everything that I'm saying in scripture so now he started to make things personal didn't he did you notice how he did that why are you dodging my question why are you dodging it well that implies fear it implies that I'm the one trying to manipulate the conversation right there that's a red flag for me and I see that there's a little bit of projecting going on it seems like he's trying to manipulate the conversation, guided towards a desired end, and now I'm trying to figure out, where are you going? So I ask him, what exactly is your question? After all, this is an AMA and Ask Me Anything. And His his answer is very revealing. Here's what he said.
1: Well, it's not a question. Uh, oh,
0: this is an AMA.
1: I've, I've, I've asked the question. You, you've answered it. Uh, so they're reiterated, Go justified, and sanctified. Thank you. Uh, it's like pulling teeth, though, to get an answer from you. So that's Catholic teaching that uh, the faith is not simply believing and trusting in Christ, because even the demons, we see in Scripture, even the demons believe. Instead, the <laughs> Wait a minute. Faith. Hold on, hold on. No, go ahead, go, go ahead.
0: Now, I laughed here because that's wrong. He says even the demons believe. What do the demons believe, according to Paul? They believe that there is one God. They don't believe the gospel. They don't have faith in Jesus in any way, shape, or form. So I laughed because... Now I'm starting to see that my discussion partner here, Catholic traditionalist, doesn't really have the grasp on Scripture that he thinks he does. I'm not saying that I'm like the master of all things theological and scriptural, but I do know that what he just said was wrong. So this is the first time now in the conversation I'm starting to see, not only is he trying to lead me somewhere, but he doesn't really have the grasp of what he's talking about that he thinks that he does. So we have something to work with here.
1: The biblical understanding of faith is with regards to those who are in Christ that have received the justification, regeneration, and sanctification through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, which is the very gospel message itself. Do you deny the gospel?
0: Uh, all right, now we're talking about the gospel. So we should probably slow down, I'm thinking, define what the gospel is. See if we're working with the same definition here. Because his whole point is that baptism is necessary for salvation. Well, that's not the gospel. But maybe he doesn't really believe that. So I'm going to ask him, well, what is the gospel? How do you define it? Let's see what he says. Tell me Tell me again what you believe the gospel is. The gospel is that individuals are saved through
1: the... A uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross through his atonement, whereby it is applied to those who are believers and are baptized, mm. uh, water baptized, uh, uh, whereby his grace from the sacrifice on the cross for the atonement of sins is applied to us. And we're then in a state of justification, we're also in a state of sanctification and we're in a state of regeneration.
0: Okay. All right, so here we have Catholic traditionalists' definition of the gospel. There's a lot of theological terms in there. Some of it is very good. But did you notice what he inserted? He said that the grace is applied to those who have been baptized. So he's inserting something into the gospel. Now, if we want to define the gospel, how do we do that? Well, we can go with you know, my best definition or his best definition, but why not go directly to Scripture? And that is what I want to do now. So what does the Apostle Paul say is the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15? Are you aware?
1: Well, I just told you what it is. It's through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross.
0: Well, you're you're sort of you're talking you're talking about the gospel, but that's not what the gospel is not you are saved. Um, the gospel, the good news of of I mean the central message of all of Scripture is What Paul says he handed down is of first importance, so we better get it right. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and he lists the rest of the witnesses. And that is the message that Paul says that the Corinthians received in which they stand by which they are being saved. So the salvation comes through believing the gospel. So you mentioned water baptism. It doesn't
1: say believing alone. Because I just told you that belief is necessary, but nowhere in scripture does it say believing alone.
0: Here it is. This is the heart of our debate. Is baptism necessary for salvation, or are we saved by grace through faith, or believing as he puts it, alone? Now we have gotten to the heart of the matter. You actually mentioned water baptism. Are you? Uh, do you hold the belief personally that you believe water baptism is necessary for salvation?
1: Sure, that's what the Bible says.
0: No, not at all. No, what you're doing there is you are adding a work, a ritual, to, to the wrong side of the equation. Do you understand what I mean?
1: Well, did, God, did God impose rituals in the Bible?
0: Never salvifically, but yes. Ba- baptism is an ordinance from God. Yes, it is not. It is I want to really make this clear because it's important that everyone hears this. Water baptism is not necessary for salvation in scripture. It is never once it is never once made a condition of saving grace of salvation. The apostle Peter says something that sounds like it, but when you understand Peter's theology of what baptism is and when you are baptized, which is which is Right away, which is how they did it in the in the early days. Um, what you understand is he's talking about repentance. He even says it's not about washing away the dirt from the body. So, which is all that water can do. Jesus made that pretty clear when he said it's not what goes um, into the body that that can defile a person. The one corollary of that is that the body does not um, accomplish spiritual status with God.
1: Okay,
0: so... All right, here I have in mind 1 Peter 3, 20-22, which actually says baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. So this passage doesn't merely say baptism is connected with salvation, but that it, it actually saves, which is very strong language, and I would have expected him to go here, which is kind of why I tried to go there first, preemptively. And so what I was trying to do is I was trying to show Peter is saying baptism saves you in the sense that you repent and believe at the moment that you are baptized. That's how they did it in those days. That's why Peter ties it to a pledge that you make in baptism. It's an expression of faith. You're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to save you. And that idea of calling on the name of the Lord is going to come in, uh, is going to feature pretty prominently as the conversation continues that could have brought in John six sixty three, which says, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. But here's what I'm getting at. Salvation is not by works in scripture. It's not about doing something physically. And when I mentioned how he was trying to put baptism on the wrong side of the equation, what I was saying is if we think of salvation as a mathematical equation, on one hand, you've got salvation. On the other hand, you've got faith. Now, the question is, which side of that equation do works fall under? Is it faith plus works equals salvation, or is it faith yields salvation plus works? So, we're saved by faith, but not faith that is alone. We're saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. So, He's clearly putting this work of baptism on the wrong side of the equation. And it's becoming more and more explicit, which is really good for me, because now I can go back to Scripture and say, look, Scripture is clear on this. Now that he's made his point more clear, now we can see what the Bible says, and if the Bible speaks clearly on it.
1: So let me ask you this question.
0: So now we're moving into the book of Acts. This is really the meat of the discussion, and I'm really going to let this ride, because what you're going to see here, it's going to become obvious that one of us has our Bible in front of us and the other one doesn't. He doesn't even know where in Acts, the point that he's trying to make is taught. And I don't say this derogatorily, but if you're going to make a point about what the Bible teaches, you need to have the Bible in front of you. You need to know what the Bible is actually saying word for word, whatever translation you're using, you need to know what it says. And it doesn't seem like he does. So that is going to be really the linchpin in our conversation, and this is really what is going to decide the matter.
1: With regards to St. Paul, in, in Acts— Hold on. do you, Lord.
0: Oh, okay. I just—are we still talking about baptism? Because that's a pretty important point. We're
1: still, we're still talking about baptism.
0: Okay. So in Acts, okay, with regards to St. Paul, when
1: the Lord blinded him, you know, knocked him up, off of his horse in the road to Damascus. Uh, we see that he had faith. He believed. Uh, but in Acts 22, 16, which comes forth later, uh, it says that his sins were not washed away until he got baptized by Ananias. How do you explain that?
0: Let's see. Okay. The very hour in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him and he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. Since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Okay. Calling on his name. Um, Help me understand why you think that this is saying baptism washes away the sins, literally washes away the sins.
1: Well, it's saying there that, that he's being baptized, but Ananias, mm-hmm. uh, but before that, in Acts, it says that he already had the faith. And you told me that somebody that has the faith, well, let me ask you, is someone that has the faith, at the moment they have the faith, are they saved or have they received
0: salvation? Well, you yes, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. That's what Paul says in Ephesians.
1: Okay, so then you have to explain to me why it is that St. Paul's sins were not washed away at the moment he believed, but instead only were washed away at the moment he got water baptized
0: by Ananias. Okay, help me, under, help me um, with the Acts 9 passage when it says he believed. Where do you see that? All right, this is the moment when he admits he doesn't have the Bible in front of him.
1: I I don't I don't have it in front of me, but it is an Acts. It's uh between the passages with regards to
0: Acts twenty two sixteen and when he got knocked off of his horse by Christ. You know, that's actually a
1: portion portion in Acts. Yeah, there's a portion in Acts where it mentions that he had faith. That St. Paul had faith. He came to accept uh,
0: Christ and had faith. You're going to have to show me exactly where that is because I'm looking at Acts 9 right now. You can pull it up on BibleGateway.com. And um, here's what it says. I can actually read it for you. He says, here, he says, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. It actually doesn't say that he was knocked off his horse. That's kind of one of those things that everyone thinks is in the Bible that actually isn't. Uh, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, get up, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, uh, I want to skip ahead cause I don't want to make this too long. Uh, okay. So he goes to him and he says, ah, here brother Saul here. Ananias went in, uh, went and entered the house. So this is when he first meets Paul or Saul. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, now go back to the Acts 22 passage. You'll see there's no contradiction here between these two passages, and there's no contradiction in what I'm saying. Um, We get a little more detail here in, in Acts 22 because he says, Why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I have to tell you, I was overjoyed when I found this. I didn't know that the passage specifically was structured this way. But when I saw that Paul was told to be baptized, calling on the name of Jesus, that sealed the deal for me. Because what I realized was Paul was being instructed to put his faith in Jesus Christ. He was in awe of Christ. He was in some sense obedient to Christ. He went into the town. He met up with Ananias. But now he's being told to call on the name of Christ, which, according to Scripture, is what saves you. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. In fact, Paul says the very same thing in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart, or if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Ananias is telling Paul, Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Call on Him; He will forgive you.
1: Okay.
0: That's a pretty important piece, isn't it? Well, hold on. You have to hear that. First of all, there was nothing in Acts nine that said that Paul had saving faith prior to his baptism. Ananias told him to call on the name of Jesus, didn't he? Jesus Himself says, "Everyone who calls on the name of the uh, on, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Oops, I got that wrong. That's Paul, not Jesus, who says that. That is what Ananias is telling Paul to do. Call on the name of Jesus. Paul was close, but he was not yet in the kingdom. So, what happens when you call on the name of Jesus? You obey Him. What does Jesus say that disciples should do? Get baptized.
1: Okay. So, uh, prior to him getting baptized, you believe that Saint Paul was a believer.
0: Well, I just read. I just read it to you. Did it say anything about is him he, having saving faith?
1: Is, is he is he yes or no? Is he yes or no? Prior to getting baptized, was he believe?
0: Oh, I I can only form my conclusions based on the text. Did you hear anything saying he had saving faith? Well, I'm, I'm that was your. You, uh, that's why I'm asking you the question. It's a yes or no answer. Did he believe just before getting baptized that Christ in Christ as his Lord and Savior? Just before getting baptized, it doesn't it doesn't tell us. What it tells us well, is that.
1: That's why I'm asking you what your belief is. I'm not asking you what the Bible says. I'm asking your personal belief.
0: Right. I I understand that you're asking these questions. I'm also trying to be very careful in how I answer because it seems to me like you're trying to prove something. I don't know if it's you're trying to teach like a baptismal regeneration doctrine, well, but I'm if, if you could try to
1: beliefs you shouldn't have a problem answering the question, right?
0: Well, maybe maybe I maybe I misstate something. God's word is going to be true no matter what. I want to be very careful in how I handle it.
1: If you're you're standing on truth, it would be impossible for me to trap you.
0: It would be impossible for you to prove God's word incorrect. However, I could misstate something, and I'd rather save us both the hassle of me having to backtrack. I'll tell you what the text says, and, and you can tell me if you heard the same thing. It said that Paul went into the house, Ananias came, he was baptized. Then in Acts 22, it says... Ananias told him to get up and be baptized, washing away his sins, calling on his name. That to me sounds like, given the subordinate clause calling on his name, that to me sounds like he called on his name as he was being baptized. But you're if, who,
1: was calling, who was calling on his name, Ananias or uh, St. Paul? Paul the Apostle. Well, it doesn't say that. In the, in the text, it doesn't say that.
0: Well, go back to Acts nine. Doesn't it say he was baptized?
1: Yes, um, it does. Well, it does say that. But the thing, but the thing is, it doesn't say that Saint Paul was calling on the Lord's name. It simply says that Ananias baptized Saint Paul, calling on his name. I don't think we're sense. Hold on, hold on. Res-
0: respectfully, I don't think we're reading the same Bible because that's not what it says. Are you looking at the text?
1: It does in Acts twenty two sixteen. Okay, uh, so. Uh, if we go to Matthew 28, 19 through
0: 20... No, no, no. We're in Acts. Stay focused. Well... Respectfully, well, stay focused.
1: Because we're fo- Hold on. Hold on. We can't... What?
0: Listen, man. What... It's we we have to, mean, we have to, we have to, have to have cut to the chase.
1: You, I, yeah. Just by the way, just so we know, Catholic, we do have a, a time cap on it. So. Well, I understand. But the yeah. thing is, uh, if he doesn't want to speak to me because he feels cornered because um, uh, I'm going ahead and presenting something that... He's not able to answer based on his false Protestant beliefs. I, I don't want to get rid of me and get me out of this stage.
0: Yeah, or it could be that we're it could be that we're taking a lot of time and you're not cutting to the
1: chase. The reason, the reason that I'm the reason that I'm bringing up Matthew 28, 19, 19 through twenty is because it coincides with Acts twenty-two sixteen, and we're not to go ahead and do what many Protestants do is one verse theology and form an entire. I, I'm
0: gonna theology. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut to the chase here. Catholic, I have to cut to the chase. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen says, "Disciple the nations, baptizing the, disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." What do you do with a Correct. disciple? What do you do with a disciple? Correct. You baptize. What is a disciple? A follower of Jesus Christ. So, so faith precedes baptized. baptism.
1: Correct. So when Ananias baptized, okay. Uh, St. Paul, then he was the one, Ananias, was the one that was calling upon the Lord's name by saying the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the process of baptizing St. Paul.
0: No, you're, and, that's not what it says in Acts 22. I'm... So here he is trying to insert his own ideas into Scripture. He's reading things that aren't there. This is a classic, classic example of eisegesis. Putting something into the text rather than exegesis, where you're drawing your doctrines out of the text. And I say this respectfully I understand he has an axe to grind, he has a destination he's trying to get to, but scripture is not going to allow him to get there. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is an act of obedience on the part of a believer who already trusts in Christ. Even if the moment of faith and repentance is the moment of baptism, as it seems to be with Paul that doesn't mean that baptism is a prerequisite for God to forgive your sins. That's not how it works. He's trying to insert this into scripture. And it's really important that he sees, and that any of our discussion partners see, this is not something that we're just making up. This isn't like Protestant doctrine that we're trying to enforce here. This is what the Bible teaches, and we need to be faithful to the Word. You're going to have to reread that. That's not what it says. Um, Why are you delaying Get up and be baptized. This is these are Ananias' words and I'm afraid we're going to uh you you can you can come up with any reason you would like. You're just not quoting the the text correctly. You're not reading it. It says, "And now why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized." This is an, this is an imperative to Paul, "And wash away your sins calling on his name." It does not say I will call on his name. It doesn't say that. You're baptizing him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's from Matthew 28. But this is why I was asking you earlier to stay focused. Um, your idea that that someone has to be baptized, which the Catholic uh, version of baptism isn't even the biblical version of baptism anyway. Your idea that uh, of trying to make baptism a salvific work is is unbiblical. It's just not there. And not only that, but Catholic uh, the, the Catholic doctrine of baptism is that it places you into a state of grace, which you can then later fall out of, which again is unbiblical. And so um, we're, we're not going to see eye to eye on here. I, I, I it, you know, we could talk all night and maybe maybe another time we will, but you can't change the words of scripture. And so far, I haven't seen you trying to be faithful with scripture. I think you've got a, a, a pet project here that you're, respectfully, I think you're trying to prove baptism as a salvific work. And Scripture's not going to allow you to do that. So yeah. maybe you don't like the way I explained it or what have you, or but at the end of the day, you're going to have to go with Scripture, not Catholic tradition. So now you know. According to the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and faith in Jesus Christ is all that is required to be saved and have your sins forgiven. Salvation is a free gift. It is not by works. Justification, being made right with God, declared righteous before God, is a gift. We are made right with God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His body was given for us, his blood was poured out for us. And the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice from God, was killed for our transgressions, or for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised back to life today, Jesus rules from heaven over all. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, just like the apostle Paul did, like all the early early Christians did, like I did, like you did if you're a Christian, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repentance and faith, which are really two sides of the same coin, are all that is required, not works. When you look at the two accounts of Paul's baptism in Acts, you see that it was Paul who called on the name of the Lord, not Ananias. And it was that faith that allowed his sins to be washed away. Baptism is a step of obedience for believers, not a good work that unsaved people do to get right with God. Most importantly for our goal today, you saw that the one skill for surviving these debate traps is this look at the book see if it supports the claims that your opponent is making and you know what if it does that is something that you want to know because our primary allegiance is to god's word not to being right or winning the argument see this was the difference between catholic traditionalist and myself i was actually looking at the scripture in front of me and he apparently was not now that doesn't make me a better person but it does mean that my answer is going to be derived from scripture obviously so Turns out it's not that much of a secret. The secret skill is look at the book. Look at the book. Now, my friend Ellipsis does a really good job on the Discord politics server. You can check that out via the link in the show notes if you want to join that. And if you are ready to build a worldview legacy for your family, then join the Think Squad group now so that you can become the worldview leader that your family and church need for this moment, right now. All you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T H I N K S Q U A D. Answer the short membership questions, and that's all that it takes. Thanks for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to my friend Ellipsis for hosting the Apologetics AMAs on Discord. Thank you to Catholic Traditionalist for the engaging conversation. And this episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekes, and is a production of the Think Institute.